time together. Whew. Happy Mother's Day to the moms, grandmoms, great-grandmoms. Happy Mother's Day to the couple of young mothers up here. Thank you for serving and being here. Uh, if you don't know me, if you're new, my name is Steve. I'm a member of the elder team here at Hall Center Church and a member of the preaching team. And I am excited to be going through Exodus with the rest of the team with you. And if you were here last week, uh, if you recall, it was the, the golden calf. And what we saw last week was that Moses turned out an offer to be one of the greatest, to be a patriarch of patriarchs and interceded for his people and saved them after they did something really dumb with the golden calf. But there were serious consequences, and if you recall, the last section of my sermon last week was titled, Oof, just Oof, because it was rough. And the calf, the golden calf, Moses took the time, if you recall, we talked about this last week, Moses took the time to grind down the calf into powder and put it in the water for the Israelites to drink. And, and, and last week when we talked through that, I just, I moved on and I got done and went back and my brother's in the back and he's like, well, Why? You didn't talk about why Moses ground down the calf and made them all drink it. And I was like, well, I don't think the commentary really talked about that. And he says, well, think about it. If everybody drinks the golden calf, where does it wind up? No? Okay. I hadn't thought about it. Apparently, John thinks about these things a lot. Um, and, and, and there you go. Had, had the calf just maybe been moved aside, people could have melted it down. It was large. It involved all kinds of jewelry. Melted down and used for other purposes. And no, guess where it wound up? Well, if you've never thought of that, you can thank John Robertson for that. You're welcome. Ah. Uh, so this week we're in Exodus 33. We're following the events of chapter 32 that we were in last week. And the title I've got this week is, I'm not going with you. And you're like, what? We're in Exodus 33. And I've titled the sermon, I'm not going with you. And you'll see why in a moment. But as I was thinking about illustrations I might be able to use, I came up with a good one, I think. Again, it involves Uncle John and any time... That's good. So when John and I were tweens, we were probably 12 and 13, we regularly went down and visited my grandparents in Florida. And one day, we had this idea, and my dad had this idea, 
He's like, okay, boys day. Me, I'll take the two boys and we're going to go on a charter fishing trip. Saturday morning, we're going to go out, we're going to go on a charter fishing trip. There's these big boats loaded with people sitting on the sides of the boats and they just get taken out to where there's big fish. And so Saturday morning came and it was pretty windy. And, but it was like five o'clock in the morning. We all got up, we got the car, drove down and we get to the charter boat and they're starting to load people on and they're warning everybody, hey, uh, just so you know, it's going to be rough out there. It's going to be really rough. So just I'm warning you, it's going to be really rough. And so my dad thought for a minute and he's like, Guys, you can go, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going. I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. And John and I are like, yeah, a free day, boat going up and down like this all day. We we'll are like riding a buck and bronco. We're going to have a great time. And we're like, yeah, we'll go. Yeah. And so my dad hands us the snacks and... He goes home to my mother who says, what have you done? (laughs) You just took your two young sons and put them on a boat with like 75 alcohol drinking. What have you done? And it was way too late at that point. Well, it started out great. We felt great. It was fun to ride in a boat with lots of waves. And, um, and the snacks disappeared quickly as they typically do with young boys. And um, uh, I'm not a real big fan of peanut butter in my cookies necessarily, uh, but John is a huge fan of nutter butters. And uh, he ate all of them. And he's not here today, but next time you see him, you can ask him what happened with them. It was a very rough day. And so, we're going to see today that this is something that God says to his people. And we're going to, this is the the point of Exodus 33, you're going to see God says the same thing to his people. I'm sorry, I can't go with you. We're going to get there. But what we're going to see in Exodus 33, the topic, the main theme of this entire chapter is the presence of God. And so Tozer says this. A.W. Tozer, if you're not familiar with him, fantastic writer. He says, very simply put, the great passion in the heart of every human being who are created in the image of God is to experience the awesome majesty of God's presence. And then he says this. He says, The highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. The highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. And I'll tell you, right out of the gate as we talk through this, I hope that you would say a quick prayer for your heart Our hearts are so easily distracted for so many things, even as we talked about last week. 
that for many of us, the presence of God's kind of an alien concept. But I've got some things that this passage today is going to show us about God's presence. And I've just listed them up here, and as we go through the chapter, you're going to see these pop out. The presence of God is pure holiness. The presence of God creates worship. The presence of God involves closeness. The presence of God brings rest, and the presence of God reveals his glory. And so we're going to we're going to cruise through the chapter. If you've got your Bibles and you want to go to Exodus 33, I'm going to put uh, some of the verses up here, but um, f- certainly follow along uh, in your Bibles. And before we do that, let's just take a moment, quiet our hearts. We've been led to this moment through some wonderful singing, some wonderful praise, and some opportunities to pray. So let's just quiet our hearts as we prepare to dive into the Word. Dear Heavenly Father, We do. We, we try to remember what it cost. And boy, though, our hearts are just loaded with distractions, so many. And so as we come together as your people this morning, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a sense of your presence. Help us to understand how it's the only thing that matters. Help us to find practical ways in our lives to constantly acknowledge that, even as we go through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So first point, the presence of God is pure holiness. Because of sin, God's perfection, his holiness has caused a real problem for us. It is not a problem for God, it's a problem for us. And this chapter begins with God telling Moses, to get going, all right? We just finished the, the um, uh, drinking the golden calf Gatorade. We, we just got done with that. And the chapter starts by God saying, hey, I want you to get going. And that God said, I'm going to send an angel. And this angel, he's going to drive out everybody that's in your way. You'll have a path. You'll be able to get there. It's going to be fine. And then God dropped a bomb. Verse 3. He says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And so God says, you go ahead, I can't go with you. I'm not going. If I go, my presence may consume you because of your posture, your posture of A stick neck toward toward me. They've stiffened their neck against God. And it would seem that even with the consequences of their idolatry from last chapter, not much had changed. And God said, I can't go with you. Why? Because it's dangerous. It's too dangerous for you for me to go with you. Wow. Wow. And so the response of the people is not like John and I are like, yeah, day off. That didn't end well. Look at verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Woo! A disastrous word. 
And I'll just tell you, at this point, it seems like the people of Israel had a light bulb turn on. That the only reason they'd been successful with anything, the only reason they'd been able to get where they were, was because of the presence of God. And they had been taking God's presence for granted. And so everywhere in this passage, there's opportunities for us to say, is this me? Have you been taking God for granted? Do you love his stuff, but not remember him, not seek him? And what if you were to hear from him today, this message, he wasn't going to be with you, what would your response be? These are good questions for us to help us analyze our hearts a little. And so the response to God saying he wouldn't go with them, this is repentance. They mourned. They did not put on the things man had made to make themselves look better. Their jewelry was not going on. They were acknowledging God, they were seeking his presence, and acknowledging his holiness. You say, why the big deal about the jewelry? Well, if you remember when they left Egypt, what did God say? Go for it. They plundered the Egyptians, and they just got all kinds of stuff from them. And a lot of those ornaments and a lot of the jewelry, I'm sure, hearkened back to that, and they said, we're not putting it on. And so the next thing we see about God's presence is it creates worship. And so this is, you've, you've probably heard uh, about the tent of meeting, but um, we're going to see that Moses put a tent outside the camp. So this word's been delivered to Moses and the people. You guys, I'm going to clear the path. No one's going no to bother you, but I'm not going. And, and the people were broken over that. And so what Moses did, he put a tent outside the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord could go out to the tent of meeting. And, and, and Moses would go in. And they'd get answers. In verse 8 it says, Whenever Moses went out to the tent. And I want you to see. We read the posture of the Israelites last chapter. We saw it. We saw they were stiff-necked. When you read these couple passages, you're like, okay, something's changed. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. And the passage continues and tells us that when Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud that would represent God, the glory of God, would descend on the tent and God would speak with Moses. Those are the details that we have. But imagine that. Well, let's read verse 10. And when the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Okay, so this is a theophany, and you've heard me use the term a couple times. It's a visible manifestation of the presence of God. The people saw the cloud come, and they worshipped. The presence of God creates worship. This meant for the people that there was still hope. God had told the Israelites he wouldn't go up in the middle of their camp, but at least he was still talking to their mediator. Still hope. And so one other thing about the presence of God is it involves closeness. We're going to keep... As we're going right through this passage. And talking about the tent of meeting, today's passage, it says in verse 11, 
And th- these, these words, this verse can't be overstated. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And so the phrase face to face doesn't mean that Moses could see God or that God necessarily has a face. It was just because just later in, the, in this passage, it's going to be clear that's not the case. It's a figure of speech intended to show that God and Moses enjoyed direct communication. Moses had immediate access to God. And this was a level of intimacy and fellowship and closeness that no human being had experienced prior except for Adam and Eve before the fall. Moses and God talked like bros. They talked like friends. That's what the passage tells us. God told him everything he needed to know about his plans for Israel. He spoke with Moses like a friend with a friend. Wow. And so I'll just tell you, as I've been spending time in Exodus, I find myself in this weird place where I relate a lot to the Israelites, but I really want to be like Moses. Let's continue. The presence of God also brings rest, and it's right in here in verse 14. In verse 14, Moses starts pleading with God, and in verse 14, God says, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. What a promise to Moses. I'll go with you, and you will have rest. We've already seen a few chapters ago that Moses was running hard. He had to build a team of folks to help him. He says, I'll give you rest. The presence of God brings rest. It brings peace. And God tells Moses, my presence will go with you and you'll have rest. However, Moses isn't done. And I want you to make sure you see this. Moses persists. In this particular verse, the you, when it says my presence will go with you, it's singular. Again, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you. God is making this promise to Moses, not to the nation of Israel. And as far as Moses was concerned, that wasn't good enough. In the next verses, Moses intercedes for the people of Israel again. The rest of the people needed God every bit as much as he did. So he made a second request that clarified what he was asking for. He pleaded for God to go with Israel as a nation. So Moses knew that Israel was nothing without God's presence. And he also knew that the only way Israel was going to be able to fulfill their part in the covenant was to be with God and having God at the center of what they were doing. And so this fantastic reminder for us, boy, think about it. Think about what God just did. God just said, Israel, I'm going to give you everything you ever asked for. The promised land is there, and it's going to be nothing to get there. 
but I'm not going with you. And they, they mourned. It's an interesting question to ask in our hearts is what if God tomorrow morning woke up and said, everything you've ever wanted is yours, but my presence won't be with you. Can't you feel it in your heart? Because there's sin constantly battling with us, the temptation exists. Would you be content with your life without God in the center? Moses wasn't, and he wasn't for his people either. And so he pleads with God, and in verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. Why? Because you've found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And so as we've spent time these last two weeks in Exodus 32 and Exodus 33, as you're just breezing through, if you're reading your Bible, you will be tempted to think that these verses, these passages are about the Israelites. I can tell you they're not. They're about Moses. They're about Moses, and the people of Israel are very much kind of along a, a for the ride in these couple chapters. Moses was the mediator of the covenant. God said he saved the Israelites because he was pleased with the mediator. He says, for you have found favor in my sight. Moses, what a guy. I hope you've gotten a better biblical picture of him these last few weeks. But man, we must not miss what a pointer to our Savior. Jesus is a true and better Moses. Who doesn't just plead for his people, but goes and willingly dies for them. And God has saved us because he was pleased with our mediator. In Matthew 3.17, when Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven. And as a symbol of the new covenant, he said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Sound familiar? And the last thing we see about God's presence in today's passage is that God's presence reveals his glory. Moses has just been told. He's just been told, okay, because I'm pleased with you, I will go with the people of Israel. At which point you would expect Moses to say, oh, because right? Moses couldn't even imagine doing this. And, 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 and in verses here, is no, if you're not going, it's just not going to work. At this point, you would expect Moses to say, all right, oh, all right, God, I'll be right back. Out of the tent to meet and says, you bozos, don't do that again. Please. You know how much work it is for me to intercede on your behalf when you guys are as stiff-necked as you are? Would you please get it together so I don't have to keep doing this? This is two chapters, Moses would say, that I've had to do this. I love that is not what Moses does 
verse 18. Verse 17, God said, I'll give you what you've asked because I'm pleased with you. Verse 18, Moses says, please show me your glory. What? What? You just got what you wanted. And we don't have a lot of indication of exactly why or whatnot. But Moses just says, please, show me your glory. And so Moses had already seen something of God's glory, right? He caught his first glimpse at the burning bush. Remember that? First theophany? Blazed with fire but wasn't consumed. He got another glimpse with his 70 elders who saw God in Exodus 24. And then he was covered with glory when he went to the mountaintop and entered the cloud of God's presence, also in Exodus 24. And he saw God's glory yet again, even in this passage where the pillar of cloud descended from heaven and rested on the door of the tent of meeting. And so God's answer in the next couple of verses, and if you've got your Bibles, you can take a peek there at how God says it. God's answer in the next couple of verses is essentially, you can't handle it. You won't be able to handle my glory. It would kill you. But I can show you my goodness. But even that, we need to be really careful. So the answer to Moses' question or Moses' plea, God, show me your glory is, I can't but I can show you my goodness, and when I do that, we have to be really careful. In verse 21, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And I, I, I love the pictures that Scripture puts in your head, just like I, I could just see God going, Okay, see that rock over there? Get up there. You stand on that rock. And just, just be ready. In verse 22, and while my glory passes by, verse 22, I will put you in a cleft of the rocks, of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. When my glory, which you cannot handle, passes by, I'm going to hide you in a narrow opening in the rock, and I'm going to put my hand over it so that you survive when my glory passes by. And the last verse of this chapter, verse 23, then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Okay, that's the end of the chapter. The very next verses are about, okay, hey, remember those tablets you busted? We got to redo that. We don't. We we don't have Moses' account of how amazing this must have been. Can you even imagine God going, I get that you want to see my glory, but nope, it'd kill you. My goodness, I can show you, but here's how it's going to roll. And this whole scene of what actually happened just must have been amazing. Augustine said, no one living in this life can see him as fully as he lived. And Hughes had a good kind of, okay, what's going on here? He said, we might think of what Moses saw 
as the contrails of God's glory. You know, when you look in the sky and you see a white stripe across, it's the contrails of a plane. You know, a plane went by, but you can't see the plane anymore. Contrails of God's glory, the luminous clouds that trailed from his divine being. Wow! What an amazing account we've seen today. From what has happened in today's passage, we'll see from here that God does go with his people in the tabernacle. And Caleb taught on that just a few weeks ago. And so, take this verse, and I want to just put up the, the final slide of, I want to come bring us back to this. The highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. This chapter for me, what, what it really did was Moses very much made me feel like I don't desire God's presence near enough, and I'm quite sure that's true. The highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. If you were to ask, if an alien were to show up and say, well, what's the most important thing to humanity today? They would go, what on earth are these things? The highest accomplishment of humanity is entering the overwhelming presence of God. Moses understood this he desired this. This is something you desire, God's presence. And so hopefully you've been able to, as, as we go through God's word, that it's, it's caused you to think of some things. And I, and I would just ask the question, have you stiffened your neck against God? If you have, dig into why. It is a dangerous place to be, as, as both chapters 32 and 33 have taught us. If you don't desire God's presence at all, ask yourself why. Ask yourself the honest question that Scripture has been forcing us to ask ourselves these last couple of weeks. What do I desire more than God's presence? What do I desire more than God's presence? Then go back to last week's sermon on idols and search your heart. It is a rough place to be. To have, as Packer taught us last week, gods we can worship while remaining our own masters, you're missing out. You make a garbage god and you make garbage gods. And you say, wow, okay, man. Steve, you usually keep it a little more practical than God's presence. That seems huge, it seems big it is. And here's what happens is we spend our lives not even thinking about it. If you do desire God's presence, you're on your way. Right? If you're like, boy, I really wish I had God's presence more in your life, then guess what? It's there. Press into it. Press into what? Press into Jesus. Isaiah 7:14 comes up a lot at Christmas, and the prophecy about Jesus, it calls him Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Everything we read about this, everything we see about God's presence, everything that we see Moses looking for is revealed in Jesus. 
And he came to remove what stood in the way between us and God's presence, our sin. And he gave us his spirit to live inside us. Some of my research and somebody was talking about this because I'll tell you what, I'm a practical guy. I'm a zeros and ones. I work with computers. And people use this term filled with the spirit all the time. It's used in the Bible over and over again. And you're like, okay, what are we talking about? Filled with the spirit. I want to live a spirit-filled life. But I can't even grasp what that means And today, let's take a moment and think about the fact maybe being filled with the Spirit is being aware of God's presence. Because he's given us his Spirit to live inside of us. Press into what Jesus did for us. Colossians 1.19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, If the folks singing and playing can come on up. In closing, we're going to sing some of the bridge and the chorus of the song we sang earlier, Remember What It Cost. As we sing some of these songs, can't you sense it? Can't you sense as together, when we're worshiping God together, that the presence of God is there? May we press into that. And so as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask that may we together, like the Israelites, stand. Go ahead and stand. The passage tells us that the Israelites stood outside their tent, waited for Moses to go in, and when the presence of God descended, they stood outside their tents, and each and every one of them worshipped. We have that opportunity to do that together. And as we seek God together, through the mediator of the new covenant who pleads on our behalf, Jesus. Let's pray real quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, Boy, sometimes the Old Testament is rough for us. We don't spend as much time there. We don't, we don't fully understand everything. It's culturally, it's a lot different. But Lord, I thank you for today, this opportunity we've had to see how Moses chased after you. He chased after your presence. He chased after your glory. And the people of Israel, when they realized they were in danger of having God not be with them, they mourned, they repented, and they stood outside their tents, and they worshiped. As we close today, Lord, I pray that each one of us would just have our hearts filled with the knowledge of what you've done for us. And may we, as we leave here, just continually seek, as Moses did, and press further and further into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. 